song, isn't it? What a beautiful name it is. What a wonderful name Jesus is. What a powerful name Jesus is. If you have your Bible, would you please turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 11. Nehemiah chapter 11. There are many, many names in chapter 11. Who want to attempt to read through this? Anybody want to give a go? Well, Nehemiah has been a great leader. They say that leaders must have three qualities. The first one is you must have a heart of a child. A heart of a child. That is to have childlikeness and not childishness. Uh, because children are known for their curiosity and wonder. Uh, their quick forgiveness, acceptance of differences in people and goodwill or not intending harm. Uh, Child, heart of a child and mind of a scholar and lastly which may come surprise to all you need to have a skin of a rhino <laughs> skin of a rhino rhinoceros you need to have thick skin and uh, I think Nehemiah is pretty thick skin if he's, he doesn't have a skin of a rhino he would have given up long time ago he had to do many many uh, amazing things from coming to Jerusalem from gathering a crowd of people to rebuild the wall to handle opposition from external side and internal conflict and now he has one last assignment he needs to do in chapter 11 his assignment is how he's going to repopulate the city of Jerusalem how is he going to do that How's he going to do? You have a city now, the wall is rebuilt, the temple is erected again once, you know, and Ezra came in to re restore the worship. People begin to repent, confess their sins, and make vows to God. But who is going to be in Jerusalem? Who's going to do the work there? Who's going to serve in the temple? Uh, and he has one last assignment he needs to do how he's going to repopulate the city of Jerusalem. And so as we go through the names as listed in chapter 11, uh, well, this is the Word of God. Bible is always relevant. I always find that people always have to try to make God's words relevant when truth is always relevant. Anyway, you just need to proclaim the truth and truth is always relevant. And God won't waste space in the Bible. It means something. Chapter 11 are many, many names. I came across this poem called The Bible, Yet It Lives. It says, Generations follow generations, yet it lives. Nations rise and fall, yet it lives. Kings, dictators, presidents come and go, yet it lives. Meaning the Bible. Torn, condemned, burned, yet it lives. Doubted, suspected, criticized, yet it lives. Damned by atheists, yet it lives. Scoffed at by scorners, yet it lives. Exaggerated by fanatics, yet it lives. Misconstrued and misstated, yet it lives. Ranted and raved about, yet it lives. Its inspiration denied, yet it lives. Yet it lives as a lamb to our feet. Yet it lives as a light to our paths. Yet it lives as the gate to heaven. Yet it lives as a standard for childhood. Yet it lives as an inspiration for the matured. Yet it lives as a comfort for the aged. 
Yet it lives as food for the hungry, yet it lives as water for the thirsty, yet it lives as light for the hidden, yet it lives as salvation for the sinner, yet it lives as grace for the Christian. To know it is to love it, to love it is to accept it, and to accept it means life eternal. Isn't that beautiful? This is God's Word. God has given us His Word. So every page in the Bible means something. That means even there are all the names there. I believe if you care enough to study it and meditate on certain portion of it, the truth begins to come before us. Let me retract back to chapter 7. The goal that he needed to do is repopulate the city of Jerusalem. In chapter 7, after he rebuilt the wall, this is what he says. After the wall had been rebuilt and I had set the doors in place, the gatekeepers, the musicians, and the Levites were appointed. I put in charge of Jerusalem my brother Hanani, along with Hananiah, the commander of the citadel. Because he was a man of integrity and feared God more than most people do. And then down to verse 4, he says this, Now the city was large and spacious, but there were few people in it, and the houses had not yet been rebuilt. So, so they reconstruct the wall, they set up the temple, the city was large and spacious, but there were nobody there, very few people. Why? Because there were no houses there. Why there were no houses? Because there are rubble as they are everywhere. The city has been destroyed for 142 years. And so it's easier to live in the countryside, easier to protect themselves. If you come into the city, you'll be kind of open up to all kinds of attacks from all kinds of people. So it's been destroyed for 140 years, 42 years. What had once been a great city had been laid waste. The wall and every building had been demolished, torn down. Boulders and ruins of buildings were everywhere. And so before anyone could build a house in the city, they would have to deal with all the rubble. And that was going to take a lot of time and effort before they could even start on the task of building their home. And so most people decided that they would just simply wasn't worth the trouble to rebuild amidst the ruins of Jerusalem. So they live in the countryside. No one wanted to come to the city. And of course, second reason is because it's not safe, because they don't have war. Uh, so that's why Nehemiah now built a wall. He has a problem in getting these people to come back. Come to the city. Come to the city. Uh, so what is Nehemiah going to do? What kind of strategy now he's going to do to repopulate the city of Jerusalem? Let us look at chapter 11, verse 1. How did it happen? Is that all? No, definitely not. Whew. I must have missed out the first one. You have a Bible? Yes. yes? It's time to turn to it. Nehemiah chapter 11. Whatever version, sometimes we put up the slides because at least there's one version that uh, we read from so there's no, no confusion in a sense. So I'm going to read from NIV 1984 version. Right? NIV 1984 is still safe, right? If you have 2011 version, probably you, you should change your Bible. Uh, 84 version is still. So I'm still using an NIV 1984 version. Uh, it says, Now the leaders of the people settled in Jerusalem. The rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of every ten of them to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, 
while the remaining nine would stay in their own towns. So how is uh, the first thing? The first thing that uh, Nehemiah is going to do to repopulate the city of Jerusalem is that the leader has to set the example. They say now the leaders of the people settle in Jerusalem. Uh, leaders have to set the example. It's a great example of the leaders leading from the front. People were afraid, skeptical, and uncomfortable to move into the city. So what did the leaders do? They volunteered to move first and settle down there so as to give a, a kind of example, a model to the rest. Hey, save now. Come, come. You can come in now. And that works wonder. And the second thing they did, not just only the leaders make the move, the second thing in verse 1, it says that the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of every ten of them to live in Jerusalem, the holy city. So it's not just tithing your finance, your money, now to tithe the people as well. So every family, he goes to various areas and says, okay, cast lot, every family bring out this area, some people, tenth of, you have a village of 1,000 people, all right, we're going to cast lot, 100 people is going to go to the city. And, uh, and then, not just only uh, the leaders, not just only the cast lot, and thirdly, in verse 2, it also says that a group of people, there are many people who also volunteered. They may not be uh, one of those people who cast lot and got to go, but they actually volunteered themselves. While the remaining nine were to stay, and verse 2 said, the people commanded all who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. So they volunteered. Some people who are not, they didn't get it. They were excited. They wanted to go. And of course, the more the merrier. And Nehemiah said, well, come along. If you volunteer to come, come along. So they are the leaders, they cast lot, and as well as people who volunteered to go and to the city. And then from verse 4 onwards, that is where all the names begin. Uh, they list down from the descendants of Judah, from the descendants of Benjamin, from the priests, from the Levites, and the gatekeepers and others. It documented who actually went into the city of Jerusalem. But I, instead of just running through all the names, I want to begin by from the descendants of Judah. Because uh, there are some names here you're going to pick up here that is very important, and then you'll be fascinated by what uh, God is doing. First and foremost, from the descendants of Judah, out of all the names there, it says in verse uh, 6, the descendants of Perez who live in Jerusalem totaled 468 men of standing. So there are 468 from the tribe of Judah. Remember Israel, they were one. Uh, uh, when the northern kingdom conquered by the uh, Assyrians, 10 tribes went into exile, and then the southern kingdom lasted about 100 over years, and then Babylon came and conquered them. They also went into exile. But the 10 tribes in the northern tribes disappeared completely. We don't know who are the descendants. You can go and do research on that. Who are the descendants of the 10 tribes of the northern uh, kingdom? Nobody knows. Nobody knows. But the southern kingdom of Judah and Benjamin survived. And because it has been destined to be so, that the line of Jesus will come from the line of David, 
from Judah all the way. Thousands of years preserved every generation until Jesus came from there. So the southern kingdom of uh, Judah and Benjamin survived. But here in listing down the names of the descendants of Judah, the name Perez stands up here. The descendants of Perez who live in Jerusalem. Do you know who is Perez? Anybody want to give a go? It's from Genesis chapter 38. Uh, if, you read, if you know the story of Perez, you'll be fascinated by this story. Uh, Perez was one of the sons of Judah. That's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then Jacob had 12 sons. And eventually the 12 sons formed into 12 tribes. And one of the tribes is Judah. Perez comes from the tribe of Judah. He's one of the sons of Judah. Judah was a patriarch who fathered one of the 12 tribes and ultimately the line of Jesus. And Judah was also a son of Jacob. The story of Perez, as I say, is in Genesis 38. It's a rather lengthy, sordid account which relates how Judah conceived this son with his own daughter-in-law. And that was an illegitimate birth. At his birth, it was found that the mother was about to bear twins. And his brother started to emerge first, and the midwife tied a scarlet string around his finger just to indicate he would be the oldest of the twins. But then the baby pulled his arms back, and the other twin came out. And because he broke out in that fashion, he was named Perez. Perez simply means breaking out. But following this rather shadow beginning, he went on to become one of the great heroes of Judah. His descendants are traced in almost every generation since. Even here in Nehemiah, after almost 400 years after Judah lived, Perez is regarded as one of the heroes of the nation. Look at what he says. Here, Perez's descendants. They are 468 men of standing. Some version that you might have is called brave men, brave warriors, or other version called abled men. Abed man. Abed man. So from the descendants of Judah uh, came uh, Perez. The 468 of them went back to the city of Jerusalem to contribute to the rebuilding in the city. And then when we move down, so from, from the descendants of Judah, now from the descendants of Benjamin. Uh, with regard to the people of Benjamin, notice that they provided twice as many men from this small tribe as those from larger tribe of Judah. Judah is a very big tribe, but Benjamin is a much smaller tribe. But Benjamin provided double the numbers of people from Judah. So if you look at Benjamin uh, from the descendant of Judah, 928 men, 928 of them went. If you know the story of Benjamin, you just need to read the last few chapters of book of Judges. Benjamin was a disgrace uh, uh, at that time. There were a lot of civil war. Uh, but despite of all that, it, it tells the sorry tale of people who fell into sexual sin and began practicing homosexuality. It was a terrible disgrace and stain on the life of Israel at that time. But if you know the tribe of Benjamin, two very great men came from that tribe. You know who? The first one is Saul, King Saul. King Saul came from the tribe of Benjamin, the first king of Israel. Of course, he's a great disappointment 
For though he began well, he ends his 40 years of reign in bitter, uh, angry rebellion against God, and he finally takes his own life on the battlefield. But there is one more great man that came from the tribe of Benjamin. Eh? David! Good try, but no, I'm sorry. Sorry to disappoint you, no. Who? Paul, named after King Saul, Saul, who became Paul, came from the tribe. You can read that in Philippians chapter 3, from the tribe of Benjamin, uh, who also came from the tribe of Benjamin. And this is Saul of Tarsus, who is better known to us, of course, as the Apostle Paul, who went on to become the Apostle to the Gentiles, while Peter was an Apostle to the Jew. He was Apostle to the Gentiles. And uh, out of the 27 books in the New Testament, he wrote 13 of them. 13 of them. If he doesn't have some kind of eye problem, he'd probably have written more. <coughs> so God is very kind. He only gives us 27 books. <laughs> so what is it all that is teaching us? I think just from the tribe of uh, Judah and from the tribe of Benjamin, uh, I think it illustrates what the New Testament often tells us, that God is no respecter of persons. He does not care how you started out in life. Isn't that wonderful? They always say that every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. Uh, every saint has a past. Uh, every sinner has a future. Uh, you, uh, God loves to pick up those kinds of people and do wonderful things with them. I came across this poem called The People God Uses. He said, Matthew was a tax collector hated by most, yet he was chosen as a disciple by the Lord of hosts. Zacchaeus cheated many in his day, but Jesus died with him when he passed his way. Women were on a level far below man, yet inside a woman his life on earth began. And Samaritans were despised by the Jews, but to a woman Samaritan Jesus gave the good news. Cheaters, adulteresses, sinful and unclean, these were the people with whom Jesus was sinned. Saul persecuted Christians until that day Jesus blocked his path along the way. He touched his heart and Paul became to be a wonderful example for you and me. David was a murderer, yet look how he was blessed. God loved him far more than most of the rest. Moses also murdered too. Check out Mary Magdalene, you and me. Look at the example shown above. No earthly sin can hinder his love. For he takes earthly sin and throws it aside. He looks deep in the heart to see what's inside. He looks in that place where no man can go, where the depth of his love begins to flow. So when we see someone who is a sinner by far, remember this list and where they now are. Remember the sins listed above. Remember he alone measures their love. Think of that. Remember he alone measures they are love. And before we hate and judge the rest, look at those God chose as some of the best. So everybody can be of use to God. So from the descendants of uh, the tribe of Judah, from the descendants of Benjamin, and now we move on from the priest. From the priest, uh, there are a group of people, priests. Uh, verse 12 tells us that those who work willingly within the temple. 
So the priests and all that do a lot of sacrifices, prepare the fire animals and all that for sacrifices of worship. And so in the church, in a similar context, uh, we all have different roles to play. From the priests, some people lead Bible study. Some people, are, ministry can be more in the sense of the, the direct spiritual side of input, or whether it's a pastor preaching, or leading Bible study, or leading certain things that's related to the direct spiritual food kind of things. Uh, but there are other kinds from the priests, and then down from the Levites. Levites from verse 15 to 18 tells us of those who willingly work outside the temple. Outside the temple may not be directly deal with those spiritual matter that contributing to a, a person's inner life or anything like that. But there are other works that are needed for the temples to function that you can read about in verse 15 to 18. Prayer. There's uh, uh, music. And if you look at the, the, the list there, I just have no time. There are so many names that is worthy of just going into and explore. The name of Asap that we see that in Psalms all the time is mentioned also here in under the from the priest side. Those who work willingly outside the church, and so here is similar for the church in ministry is not necessarily on this, on those kind of things. There are other matters, bigger picture outside of the 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 temple in the same building, people who mow the lawn, people who are involved in the building project and all kinds of things, doing the treasury work to make the church possible, or the power-up team of, of doing the slides and the, the PA and all kinds of preparing food. There are so many things that is going on to make it possible for the functions of the temple. So from the priest, from the Levites, and then the gatekeepers and others are also mentioned in verses 19 to 36. And as we go through this list, there are few roles there we can pick up. The, all these gatekeepers, gatekeepers are like almost like our ushers or offering stewards, you know. They are temple servants, they are chief officers, they are singers, the king's agent in all affairs relating to the people. Your guess is just as good as mine. What does that mean? The king's agent in all affairs relating to the people. Uh, maybe they are, I would categorize it, maybe they are troubleshooters. I don't know. You know they are able to, some people just have a way to, 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 to understand how certain things work and all that. Um, they are able to troubleshoot. If you do this, then this thing will flow. If you don't have this, then it will jeopardize, it will slow the process down or something like that. Uh, here again, God uses all kinds of people from the priests, from the Levites, those who work willingly within the temple, those who work outside of the temple, and those who just many more other roles. They are all unknown to us. So let me just move on now as I just went through this uh, passage. I just feel justified to at least explain the text to you before we jump to the application side of the things. I have four points I want to give to you. What does ministry involve? Four points in terms of application. And the second part of this sermon will come uh, in three weeks' time as next two weeks will be uh, a combined service and we want the sermon to tie kind of to the occasion. Uh, so the second part of uh, how to be involved in ministry uh, the sermon will come in uh, three weeks' time. So what does ministry involve? 
as we begin to rebuild the church, uh, we need as many people to be involved in ministry. But what does it involve? The first one is, as I look at the text of uh, chapter 11, ministry involves a willingness to move out of our comfort zone. How to serve God? Many people like to serve God only within their comfort zone, at their convenience. But sometimes serving God can't be like that. It has to just sacrifice. You have to be willing to move out of your comfort zone. You might have to give up something else so that you can devote the extra time to serve the Lord. It involves in moving out of our comfort zone. Nehemiah got the wall built, but there were not many people living in the city. And when the people returned from exile, as I said, the walls were torn down and there was a lot of rubble from the previous destruction. It would have required a lot of work to clear the rubble and restore the city. And as the former capital, the, the, the restored city would have been a major target for enemies to attack. And so at first, there wasn't much economy opportunity there. It was far easier to settle out in the country and farm your own plot of ground. So most of the people have been content to live in the surrounding villages scattered across the land. But Nehemiah knew that if the city was to be strong and prosperous, and if the worship in the temple was to thrive, the city had to be well populated with citizens who would defend it in case of attack. And so he went out and recruited people. Come on, come on. Can you please come back to the city? And I believe that there are many people who are very comfortable living in the countryside. They are happy. They are a little family. They have their little walls surrounding their own home. And if you read in conjunction of this context in the book of Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament, you will see that the prophet Malachi also prophesied during this time and said, Hey, don't forget God's house. Don't just rebuild your house. How about God's house? Read that. Read uh, Malachi. Only four chapters. Very easy to read through. And when you read that in this context, Malachi is telling these people, uh, you begin to get more out of, from, of that book. And so here, there are many people. The, the people decided, some volunteered, some maybe, you know. And, and because of that, if you look in, at verse uh, 3, or verse 2, sorry, verse 2, it said, the people commanded all the men who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. Of course, they commanded me. You know, I don't have to go. You know, <laughs> you go. You know. uh, but but ministry involves a willingness to move out of our comfort zone. I believe that it was rather inconvenient for some people, uh, and very probably less desirable in some ways to move from country to the city. And these people were willing to live where God wanted them to live in order to serve His purpose. And some missionaries do that. Some people who do ministry in certain suburbs, they are poorer, they uproot themselves and move into the suburb so that they can be a blessing. And I could think of the, our mission speaker, Bernie Power, uh, who you know, uh, went into certain suburbs to live there so that he can reach out to the Muslim people. Let me move our comfort zone. Um, um. And secondly, I think ministry involves in serving in the sphere in which God calls you to serve. <coughs> ministry involves serving in the sphere in which God calls you. To. I believe that God has given each one of us uh, gifts that comes naturally for us to do. It doesn't require, it doesn't stress you in this. It comes naturally. 
that you can do well. Some people are naturally gifted in cooking. If you ask me to do that, you might get some food from Ang Pang, you know, or some somewhere else. Uh, some people are great hosts. It doesn't stress them. It comes naturally for them to whip up five, six dishes in a couple of hours. Can invite. They can host. It, it doesn't stress them. You know, and 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 we are all gifted in 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 those kind of different areas. Here in chapter eleven, it lists the head of families in Jerusalem, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the temple servants, and various officers appointed by the king of Persia and the people who live outside the city. Each serve in his respective sphere. For the effective operation of the city and the nation. Uh, once I read about uh, someone by the name of Carl George. Uh, he I probably made this astute observation that the things in the church that people usually complain about reveal the person's area of spiritual gift. Yeah. If you complain anything about this church, probably you are good in that thing. You complain about the music, probably you're quite musical. You can do something. You complain, you know what you complain about? Because you have that ability, you know, you have that knowledge. Therefore, you, you can't, ah, it's not quite right. I wish I... So when you, what you complain about, in some sense, reveals something about your spiritual gift. That, that those are the things that you may be gifted in. Those are the things that you are good at. Uh, oh, this church is not very friendly. I wish that... I hope that you, you in some sense, are, are quite friendly. You like that, or I don't know. Um, this just doesn't emphasize on outreach enough. Probably you, you have the gift of outreach. The church is disorganized. It's a mess. It's probably a gifted administrator. They know how to, to focus and, and lead a process or something like that. And so the solution is not for the gifted person to sit around criticizing others for not doing what probably is not their area of gift, but rather to get involved in the areas that he thinks need fixing. Instead of criticizing, so those are the things that you, the, those things that you criticize probably are those things that you may be gifted in, and probably you need to roll up your sleeve and do the work. The merciful person should help us all become more merciful by showing mercy. The evangelist should show us how to reach the lost. The administrator should help us to get organized. God has made us all differently and we only work as a body when we work in our sphere and affirm others in their area. I'm very clear. I told the leadership, I'm, I can only do what I can do as a pastor. There are many things I can't do. So if a senior pastor doesn't fit the bill, include this area, then probably I'm happy to just be an associate. Uh, I'm very intact in my, in my identity. Uh, this is what I can do. These are things I can't do. Uh, no point trying to do things that you can't do because you're not gifted. In. It's better off to get people who are gifted to do, and they'll probably do a better job and I can excel in those things, those areas that you are gifted in. Everybody needs to work in their, their area that they are gifted in. Area in they are gifted in. And I tell you, when we are able to do that, we complement each other. We don't have to... Uh, was it, who was it that said, uh, we can do more for the Lord if we don't mind who gets the credit. Uh, we can all do more for the Lord if we don't mind who gets the credit. In the, in the and the third thing about ministry involvement is ministry is involves a willingness to serve without a claim. 
Ministry involves a willingness to serve without a claim. Most of these names mean nothing to us at all. Some aren't even listed by name. They just say, da 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 da, 728, and they're associate. So you're one of the 728. Your name is not even mentioned. You become just like a number. Perez and da 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 da. You know? How many of them? Perez, how many? What? 468. So who are the 468? No one knows. Who are the 468 who went? To join Perez as an abled man, as a, as a man of standing. 468, you don't even have a name to it. And so here, ministry involves a willingness to serve without a claim. It's okay. The church needs many people like that in order to function well. This place would shut down in a week if we didn't have many who labor faithfully behind the scenes. You never see them up front, but they do what God has given them to do. Like, uh, I need to mention Jeff. Like Jeff. Sorry, Jeff, I put you on the spot. Uh, yeah, that's you. That's you. Don't look left, right? That's you. you know. Mainly music. We have this uh, simple amplifier. It boom, feels, you know, don't, can't do it. And he just took it back and tried to fix it. He can't fix it. He stripped it all apart and said, well, finish. This thing can throw away now. We have to buy a new one. Um, nobody knows. Nobody knows. Uh, it's okay. You know why? Because uh, there are two things I need to tell you. Because faithfulness, not fame, is the issue. Faithfulness and not fame is the issue. I shouldn't have given you the second bit first, but it came out. I forget to. God notices even if others do not. Faithfulness and not fame is the issue. Motive is what matters. If we serve to try to gain esteem and recognition, we are going we are doing it for the wrong reason. We'll get angry when others do not give us the strokes that we are seeking. Chao Sindor, he wrote a book uh, on the book of Nehemiah called Hand Me Another Brick. He said, if you desire fame and recognition, you will most likely fail as a leader and your efforts will go unrewarded for all eternity. That's not a threat, it's a promise. And this poem says, Heaven's Academy. It says, I'm sure we've all seen on TV all the fast and pomp at the Academy. Thousands of dollars spent on dress, lots of attention on actors and actresses. They walk the stage in gallant stride and receive their awards with style and pride. Their satisfaction they cannot hide. Their accomplishments range far and wide. But the award they receive is so temporary when compared to ours in eternity. They labor for an award that perishes, but we, we labor for eternal riches. They labor for the fleeting applause of man, but we, our labor is not in vain. For in heaven's academy, we will be with the Son of God who died for you and me. And there's no better or higher place to be than seated in robes of white in heaven's academy. So it's not uh, uh, fame, it's faithfulness. Just keep on being faithful to God in doing the task that He has entrusted to you and me. Just keep on doing on. At the end of the day, it's faithfulness to God that really matters. Uh, why? Because God notices even if others do not. Let me give you two verses here. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10, it says this. Beautiful verse. God is not unjust. He 
will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work. Isn't it beautiful? To know that the, the person that really matters says that, that God is not unjust. He will not forget your work. Even no one recognized, no one knew of it, God knows. God knows. And that's what really, really matters at the end of the day. When we please God, it doesn't matter who we displease. And if you displease God, it doesn't matter who you please. So God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown Him as you have helped His people and continue to help them. God knows. And another verse in chapter 10 of Matthew, the context is Jesus sent out the 72 to do mission work. And towards the end of it, not quite the end, but He said this somewhere. He says this. He said, Anyone who welcomes you, welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me, welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. Think of that. And whoever welcomes a righteous person as a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. So who say that as a pastor my reward is greater than yours? Who says that? Jesus never said that. He never said that. You know, a lot of people like to joke with me, oh pastor, next time when you get to heaven, your mansion will be the big one. You know? I say, where in the Bible it says that? Where? Show me. Your reward can be greater than mine. Who says that? If you, you say, whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. There is no difference in your rewards from what the prophets receive. And whoever welcomes a righteous person as a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. In the area of supporting mission work, in the area of supporting people who are in ministry, you yourself will receive the same corresponding reward. Last point I want to give to you. Uh, so ministry uh, involves um, willingness to serve without a claim because faithfulness is what really matters and uh, God notices if others do not. The last point I want to give to you is ministry involves people first and program second. Uh, ministry involves people first and program second. The long list underscores the importance of people to God in chapter 11. Each one of these strange, hard-to-pronounce names represents a person whom God loved and God knew. Jesus said that a good shepherd calls his own sheep by name and that his sheep follow him because they know his voice. The Christian faith is all about personal relationship first with God and then with one another. Program should always be the vehicle through which we minister to people. If a program is not doing that, we need to seriously think about whether or not we should continue to run the program. Apart from programs, if you have 
the proper ministry mindset, you will seek to relate to people. Program to serve to relate to people. At the end of the day, you're the people that really matter, not programs. Programs don't change lives. God isn't saving buildings or sanctifying programs. He's saving and sanctifying people. And He does that through His people reaching out in love to others. People matter to God. And if people matter to God, then people must matter to us, to the church. That our church here ministry is to people and not just for the sake of just doing programs. So this is uh, what chapter 11 entails for us. Uh, and what ministry involves involves a willingness to move out of our comfort zone to serve in a sphere where God wants you to serve to serve without a claim and to put people ahead of program we all can do that we all can do that God is a faithful God God used each one of our gifts someone said little stones make, make big mountains little steps can cover mouths little acts of loving kindness give the world its biggest smile. Little words can soothe big troubles. Little hearts can dry big tears. Little candles light the darkness. Little memories last for years. Little dreams can lead to greatness. Little victories to success. It's the little things in life that brings the greatest happiness. Little things. Do little things. Little things for God. Because when we do little things to God, you are sowing seed. And when you sow seed, it will grow. It will grow. May God help us in our endeavor to uh, be involved in ministry in our own ways. May we do it all for Jesus' sake. Thank you, Lord. Let's pray, shall we? Lord, you don't care about age. No wonder you bless Abraham. You don't care about experience. No wonder you chose David. You don't care about gender. No wonder you lifted Queen Esther. You don't care about our past. No wonder you call Paul. You don't care about physical appearance. No wonder you chose Zacchaeus, who is so short. You don't care about fluency in speech. No wonder you chose Moses. You don't care about our career. No wonder you chose Mary Magdalene. All I know is that God, you never change. You never make a promise you wouldn't keep. You never saw a person you wouldn't help. You never heard a prayer you wouldn't answer. You wouldn't find a soul you wouldn't love. And you never found a sinner you wouldn't forgive. Lord, thank you. Thank you that our lives here is to serve you. Our life is a gift from you. And what we do with this life is our gift to you. And may we uh, use it wisely as we serve you faithfully in the task, in the sphere in the things that we are good at, we can use our gifts that you have blessed us with. Even the one, for some ones, for some five, some ten, we use it, that gifts that you've given to us to serve you faithfully 
faithfully, Lord, because you, you watch, you know, even though others don't see you, you see it, and you will reward us accordingly in future. Thank you for this church. Thank you for so many wonderful warriors, so many people who faithfully, joyfully, sacrificially uh, serve you in a very quiet way that no one knows. We ask for your blessing upon them. You give them encouragement when they discourage. May you bless each one of them as they continue to shoulder on and serve you joyfully and faithfully. We thank you. Thank you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.